What are the Islamic holy books? Can we know if the Hadith, Sirah, and Quran are reliable sources of truth? That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, you are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we are back with our series on Islam. Yep, it's good to be back this week. Yeah, it's super exciting. Uh, but before we get into the topic for today, we're going to just go over some pretty cool announcements and some exciting stuff going on. Right, Robbie? So there's yeah. something big coming up. Do you want to tell our listeners what that is? Yeah. So on November 2nd, we are having the Deep Faith Apologetics Conference here in Phoenix, Arizona. It is a big um, uh, conference for students. So it's middle school through college. But if you're an adult and you want to come, drag along a high schooler and we'll let you in. Right. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm speaking at it. I'm going to be talking about transgenderism. Sean McDowell's coming into town. He's going to be talking about homosexuality. And then my friend, Je- my friend, friend, I said friend. My friend, James Umber, is going to be talking about uh, evolution, all in the context of cultural identity and how we can have our identity in Christ as the culture is trying to pressure us to adapt to their types of identity. Mm. So it's going to be really great. There's breakout (coughs) sessions. There's free lunch. Tyler, you are going to be there at the Christ Culture and Coffee table. And it's not a coffee table. No. It's a big table, but it's a Christ Culture and Coffee table. That's true. That's right. And I will be there. We will be having a little booth there for you to come and say hi, come and meet us, talk about um, any questions you have, uh, mm-hmm. and then bring a student uh, to this conference because I can tell you from personal experience, me growing up as a student going to these conferences, um, it was super helpful in developing my faith and just strengthening and encouraging me as I go. With, um, and I, honestly, it'd be great for adults to hear too. Yeah, so it would. Please, like, uh, if you're in the Phoenix area and y- you can make it, please, you don't want to miss this because it's it. I know for me, through personal experience, personal testimony, these conferences are amazing. So you definitely want to be there. Yep. And if you want to get tickets for that or you want some more information on schedule and speakers and stuff, you can go to deepfaithapologetics.com and that has everything you need on there. Mm. But I did put up a thing today on social media saying how we are 75% sold out for the conference. So if you want to go, you need to get on buying some tickets because they're going to sell out quick. So please don't wait to buy them at the door. They probably won't be available. Get them ahead. Get them today at deepfaithapologetics.com. Awesome. And so also, if you could go ahead and follow us on those social media accounts, you can get updates like that, like when the tickets are selling out or when we are about to start a new series in our podcast. And just oftentimes we post uh, words of encouragement or different um, apologetics related topics. And we post about coffee because this is Christ culture and coffee. So uh, go ahead and be a part of those um, pages. Follow us on our social media. And then also, if you are a diehard fan of this podcast, you want to be a part of our Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders group. Yes, we'd love for you to be on our Facebook Insiders group. It is just, it's a cool place where people are posting stuff, asking questions, getting insights from others, sharing good articles. It's a really cool community of people. They are the brightest, the best, the most amazing apologetics audience out there. This is the next generation of apologists rising up, communicating with each other. It's great. So yeah, so um, now... Let's get into the topic for today. We are going to be discussing the texts 
that Muslims believe. Yeah, the, it's always important when you're looking at any religion or cult to say, okay, what are their sources of truth, right? What right. are their holy books? Last week we talked about how Muhammad received the Quran uh, from the angel and, and you know over the course of uh, 22 years, it was from 610 to 632, he was receiving more revelation of God's holy word. But what a lot of people don't know is that the Quran isn't the only... Uh, quote-unquote holy book that Muslims hold to. Mm. There's also two things that are called hadith and sirah. Now, these are very important uh, Muslim sources to know what Muhammad did and who he was and who his followers were. So the hadith are collections of the sayings and deeds of Muhammad. Now, Mm. Muhammad, to a, to a Muslim, was the greatest prophet of all time. He was the greatest man who ever lived. And you need to follow him in lifestyle, in word, and in deed. Because if he's the greatest man who ever lived, he's the, he's the man who followed the Quran more perfectly than anyone who ever lived. Yeah. You need to know the things he did so you can imitate him. Why, why wouldn't you, right? That's yeah. what I mean, that's what Christians want to do with Jesus. We exactly. believe that he is the son of God. We want to follow and be more like him. So yep. yeah, if that's if he if that's Muhammad to Muslims that yeah, why wouldn't you? Yep. And and so the hadith are their source for those types of things. What mm. did Muhammad say and do right. that aren't listed in the Quran, right? Is the Quran's not the book of Muhammad's life. Um, but the hadith are these sources. And so you get stuff in hadith about how Muhammad prayed. Actually, some of the five pillars, which we're going to talk about that in a few weeks on beliefs of Muslim, they don't all come from the Quran. Some come from the hadith. Hmm, so that's okay. they're very important books uh, of what Muhammad said and how he lived his life. And so you'll get a lot of Muslims who uh, wash a certain way, what they do with their beards, things like that, because, oh, that. because this is what Muhammad did. Yeah, um, enter. I, I'm pretty sure enter uh, the be- restroom with the left foot first. Things like that can <laughs> yeah. be found because they do want to live as he lived. All right. So when we get into hadith, these are accepted by Muslims today as great sources of truth. They're not the same as the Quran. They're not God's holy eternal word, but you have the holy best greatest man who ever lived and accurate statements about him, so they're close to being... They wouldn't say they're inspired like the Quran, but but they're really important, okay? Yeah, that makes sense. They're very, very important. So those are what hadith are. Now, the the, the sirah are like... We would say they're they're like biographies of Muhammad. The point of the sirah was that they sought to write a complete chronological life of Muhammad. The hadith don't. They're like bits and pieces. There's like different portions and um and and passages about different random things the sirah are like an exhaustive biography of muhammad today muslims really revere hadith and they don't revere the sirah very much okay okay so that's that's where we're at currently with these sources now these are some of the best and earliest sources that muslims have um sirat rasul allah is a biography, right? It's Sirah. It's not Hadith. And it was mm. written by uh, Ibn Ishaq around 770 AD. This is, think about this. When did Muhammad die? 632. Mm. So the best source we have on his life comes from 770. Wow. Okay, so what is that? 158 years. 
Yeah, that's that's a really long time. That's a long time, but that's the best source we have. Muslims don't really like this source, um, and there's reason why. But um, th- but this is the best Muslim source uh, written. Uh, Surah, the earliest, yeah. The earliest, yeah. And um, and Surah uh, Rasul Allah. It means um, the biography of the Prophet of Allah hmm. is, is the idea here. Um, so you can actually, if you just Google search it, you can get this. Type in uh, Ibn Ishaq, which you just type in IBN, new word, I-S-H-A-Q. And you can get Ibn Ishaq's works and you can read the biography of Muhammad uh, that comes from 70, uh, 770 A.D. Now, there is a, a hadith that's called Muwatta. M-U-W-A-T-T-A, and it's Hadith of Jurisprudence. Uh, It was written by Imam Malik uh, around 795 A.D. So again, not as early, right, 25 years later than the biography by Ibn Ishaq. Then we have uh, Sirah that's called, uh, and again, I don't know if I'm specifically pronouncing this exactly no, that's right. that's okay, because okay. <laughs> I don't think I could do any better. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's called Kitab al-Maghazi. And it is, um, it's Sirah, sorry, it's not Hadith, it's Sirah, and it was written by Al-Waqidi around 822. Now, we have another Sirah, that's biography, by Kitab al-Tabakat, which was written by uh, Ibn Sa'id, uh, date 845 AD. And again, Sirah, these are not as in high esteem. These are biography. Yeah, they're not as high esteem as Hadith. Right. But now we get to 870, and we have... The best hadith. This is regarded to be the greatest hadith, and it's called Sahih al Bukhari. Right. Uh, and it means Sahih means authentic, um, verified um, by al Bukhari. So it's hadith that is authenticated by Imam Bukhari. Hmm. Okay? So this is why it's regarded to be the best, especially by Sunni Muslims. Um, Bukhari sifted through hundreds of thousands of hadith from the time, right? Written and oral. Uh, it's it depending on what source you look at. Some people say three hundred thousand. Some people say five hundred thousand. Some people say seven hundred thousand hadith he uh, looked into, which is a ton. Uh, so he hundreds of thousands of hadith he sifted through. Um, what he would do is he would say, okay, let's make sure that these are legitimate things that hmm. Muhammad said or did. Like I want to yeah. really know what he did. So this was his method of going about figuring it out and authenticating these things. Um, in Islam, there's this thing called the Isnad, I-S-N-A-D. And Isnad is the Arabic word. It means support. So the Isnad is the list of authorities who have transmitted the hadith, the report. Okay? Mm. So you have, you know, uh, Ibn, or sorry, uh, Sahih al-Bukhari is writing in 870. So that's 258 years, right, after Muhammad died. Huh. Okay? Yeah. So that's, let's, that's, that's a while. That's a long time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, 870. So he is he's trying to verify these accounts. So what he would do is he'd look at the Isnad, which is the reports, right? This guy who heard it from this guy, who heard it from this guy, going back in time all the way to who heard Muhammad oh. say it. Okay? That's, that's, that's crazy. the and Isnad. That's, that's over like 250 something yeah. years of what you it's said, right? Yeah. It's the chain the chain of transmission. And it's still crazy to me to think too how many people he probably had to go through cuz I mean we were talk we talked about this vaguely last week too, but just thinking through that that's the, the same same time frame as if 
like us today, we're trying to dictate and write down the events that took place during the founding of the United Yeah, the Revolutionary States, right? War, yeah. yeah. And we'd have it's, to go back and research and, and ask people yeah. who knew people. With who no, to people no and, written or like any any sort of Yeah, and I'm not sure like I'm not sure if they didn't have written. They okay, might have okay. had some written. But, but through this, but this was done orally, on. correct? Oh, some of, of it was. Right, okay. Yeah, and some of it was written. But, but he's, he's trying yeah. to authenticate it. So this is a huge task that Bukhari took oh, on. Oh, yeah. That's why it's held in such high esteem because he really sought to verify is this legitimate hadith mm, yeah. so <clears throat> what he would do is he'd go around and he'd hear uh, the hadith from people he'd ask about the the isnad right the the train of transmission right and he'd ask people to account what they knew of the hadith and if it matched up with other things he'd read and he could verify it he would accept it as authentic hadith Okay. Now, yeah. that was that was part of his method. Another method was he would study the isnad. He would study the chain of transmission. And if he found people in the train of transmission who were deceitful or dishonest or scheming or lying in any way, he would throw the whole hadith out. Because he'd say, look, that guy who was the fifth person to say it was a horrible human being. Huh. We can't trust that he, he kept this true. He might have changed it. He might, you know, lied about it. We can't trust him because he's not trustworthy. Therefore, I'm not accepting that as authentic hadith. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> it was said that if he went to to recount hadith with someone and he saw them mistreating an animal, he'd throw it out because he'd say if they don't know how to take care of an animal, they don't know how to take care of hadith. Wow. So that was his thought process. So this is high, high level scrutiny. This is pretty good method for the time to make sure things were authentic. So the story goes that Sahih al- or that, that Iman Bukhari, to authenticate his hadith, he, he took either 300,000, 500,000, or 700,000 hadith, and eventually, through the authenticating process, whittled them down to about 5,000 hadith, which is 1% of the hadith he'd been exposed to. Wow. He eliminated yeah. 99%. This, so that's why this is held in such high esteem. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, is there any record of how long that took by chance? or is it like- ah, There might be. I'm not sure. Right, I'm not okay. sure uh, of, of how long it took. Wow, but, but there, that's, there might be. That's wild. I, I was just thinking because that's just insane how in-depth <laughs> yeah. that that would take. That's it's just, a big work. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. But that's why Muslims, uh, especially Sunni Muslims, look at this and say, man— I, Bukhari is it's the best right it's yeah. really authenticated he did a lot of hard work to make sure what he was passing on was legitimate that's yeah, that's why right that's so good. so that's where they're at so yeah. Sahih al-Bukhari the authenticated hadith of al-Bukhari uh, is um, is held in high esteem now the second hadith that's held in very high esteem is Sahih al-Muslim the authenticated um, hadith of Muslim uh, uh, Imam Muslim was a student of Bukhari. All right? Okay. So this is where it gets interesting. You have Muslim writing a lot of the same things Bukhari wrote, but he got it from Bukhari. <laughs> so that's just one source. Yeah. Does that make no. sense? It's yeah, like, it does, because his source is Bukhari. Yeah, and we have Bukhari. Bukhari. So Bukhari and Muslim aren't two sources when they when they say the same thing. That's just one source because Muslim learned it from Bukhari. So Muslim, he's not providing anything new. No, and this is right. and this is a big deal because 
when you're looking at doing history, when you're trying to piece together what happened in the past, one of the criteria you look for is multiple independent sources, mm. not just multiple sources, right? Multiple yeah. independent sources. So here, here's kind of an explanation of it. Let's say I was over in Israel on an archaeological dig, which would just be awesome. <laughs> right for a few reasons i've heard they have great coffee over there i like indiana jones it would be great so i'm over there and i'm digging up stuff and i dig up some really cool archaeological find and i uh write a paper about it and tyler okay. you read my paper and you make a podcast about what i found and then somebody listens to the podcast that you made and they write a, mm. they make a vlog about it and then somebody sees the vlog and they tell it on their radio show and then somebody hears it on the radio and tells it to their friend. How many independent sources is that? That's yeah. that's no, one. Yeah, that's one. That's but, just but me. All, yeah, but they're all getting from the one source. The one yeah. source. So that's only one source. It's just it's many sources, but it's only coming from one source. Yeah, yeah. Right? So all of those people could be wrong if my analysis of the archaeology was wrong. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what you have with Muslim and Bukhari is – Muslim recounts Bukhari, so that's that's not two sources, it's just one. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. However, yeah. Muslims don't look at it like that. They look at this as two valid sources, hmm. which, okay, we'll, we'll say, all right, so if it's in Muslim and it's in Bukhari, it's like, I mean, it's as good as gold. It's it's authentic. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And that's why those hadith are called sahih, because it means authenticated. They went through this rigorous process where other... Um, hadith isn't called that. Okay. It's just called Sunan. So anyways, it's very interesting. Yeah. So Muslim and and Bukhari are the gold standard. But we can also learn a lot from uh, the, the life of the Prophet of Allah, right, from Ibn Ishaq. And that's the earliest uh, biography we have. That's the earliest documentation we have of Muhammad, mm. which comes from 770. All right, so Muslim wrote his book uh, five years after Bukhari in 875. And um, the, the hadith by Bukhari, the hadith by Muslim, right now there's, there's like a collection of books. I can't remember what it's called. It's by the Sunni Muslims. But it's, it's basically – the idea is the six canonical, the six legitimate hadith. Mm. And Bukhari and Muslim are the two greatest of the six. But they accept six as these are real Sunan, these are real hadith. Okay, okay. Um, you can and you can you can just Google search that, and you can go and read all the hadith in English. Um, it's it's all there for you. Wow. Look up uh, Sahih al Bukhari, Sahih al Muslim, uh, a couple other ones. Sunan Abu Daoud. Um, there's also um, oh, what's it? Sunan Majah, uh, Sunan al Majah. Okay. I think is what it's called. That's that is another one that is is in in the the book of the six. Um, I want to make sure I'm saying that correct, but yeah, it's Majah. So, okay. anyways, there's these there's these six uh, hadith. Now, again, this isn't the Quran, this isn't the mm -hmm. Word of God, this isn't the you know eternal Word, but it is deeds and words of Muhammad and his followers that Muslims should follow and that's do right, yeah, and well, emulate. Just like we said, that's that's important. That's the guy that they're that they're wanting to be more like. Then you want to read up everything on him. Yeah. Yep. So it's, yeah, so it's a big deal. Now, where this gets funny is that one of the charges Muslims will make against Christianity mm -hmm. is that the Injil, uh, that's the Gospels, yeah. are corrupted. 
Okay. They've been corrupted. I, I've and heard, they don't I've say heard what they originally said, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Mormons make the same argument. Yeah. That they after do. the time of the apostles, the, the gospels were corrupted. The New Testament was corrupted. Uh, here's what's interesting about it when, when we look at the sources of the New Testament, uh, we have much better sources than Muslims do for the life of Muhammad. Yeah. So, f- for instance, um, Mark was written between 65 to 70 AD, which that's really close to the time of, of the events it talks about, right? Yeah, yeah. We're talking 30, 40 years after. That's really close. Yeah, Ibn Ishaq's what, 150 Meaning, Meaning when later? this was written, people were still alive during that yeah. time who witnessed who these witnessed events. Who witnessed it, yeah. yeah. Whereas Ibn Ishaq, which is the earliest we've got, is 150 years later. Or 200-something. Two. Well, no, that's, oh, oh, that that's Al-Bukhari. Oh, okay. But the, the biography... The biography is 150. Is 150, oh, okay. yeah. Wow. So again, that's not very close. So Mark was written, you know, and these are the liberal datings. You, you can debate this, but most scholars accept between 60 and 70. Matthew and Luke were both written after Mark, but prior to 70 AD. Uh, we know this from internal evidence. And then John, most, most scholars will say it was written probably between 90 and 95 AD. Mm. Now... What I think is interesting for us is to, to talk about the sources within the New Testament, all right? So when we come to the four Gospels, do we have independent sources, or are they all just copying each other? Is this like Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, right? Right, Because right. if everyone's just copying the first one, then that's only one source. But when we analyze the four Gospels, we find something very interesting. This is how we, we know how many sources there are. Mark wrote his Gospel first, and there's a ton of internal evidence for this. Right. Now, Matthew and, and Luke come along, and they quote Mark a ton. And that's, how we, that's one of the reasons we know Mark wrote first, because it's really hard to quote somebody verbatim when they haven't written yet. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> Mark also if he was copying the others, would like cut everything out and not add anything of his own. (laughs) Which you go, why do you need to write? (laughs) So anyways, Mark writes first, and then Matthew and Luke totally plagiarize him with a lot of verses. Mm -hmm. So Mark, and then Mark in Matthew, and Mark in Luke. That's only one source, right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got one. Now in addition to the stuff from Mark that's in Matthew and Luke, we also have things in Matthew that are only found in Matthew, so that's his independent stuff. Right. And we have stuff in Luke that we only find in Luke. That's his independent stuff. Yeah, and that makes sense because you can still be an independent source with new information while also quoting other sources. Other sources, it, yeah. That still makes you your own source. Well, yes. And it's interesting because the question becomes, why did they quote so much of Mark, but then they added their own stuff to it? And why didn't they just like um, add more of their own hmm. or you know this kind of thing? And um, it comes down to scroll size. Hmm. It's not like they had electronic pages like we do that just go for infinity, right? Uh, it's not like they could just print more paper or go down and buy another you know, ream of paper. Right. It wasn't like that. Scrolls were a certain size. So Matthew wanted to write his perspective of what had happened. <clears throat> he used a lot of Mark's source material, but he also added his own stuff. Mm. But he only had so much space on the scroll. So he cuts some of Mark's stuff out so he can add his stuff. Luke does the same thing because scrolls were a certain size. It's very interesting yeah, to think about that. Yeah, So we have Mark. Mark found in Matthew and Luke. That's one source. And then we have Matthew's independent stuff and Luke's independent stuff. So now we're up to three sources, <laughs> right? In addition 
to those. In Matthew and in Luke, we find them quoting another source in 235 different verses. But it's not Mark. These verses don't come from Mark. And so scholars look at it and go, whoa, that's crazy. They must be quoting something something else, right? If they all have... Yes, yeah, both of them have the exact verbatim stuff. Where are they getting it from? It seems like they were using another source. And this shouldn't shock us. Luke tells us right at the beginning of his epistle or of his gospel, I went and I interviewed a bunch of people and I compiled all the information I could get and I put yeah. together an account for you, O Theophilus, right? Yeah, yeah. So he, the, he told us this is what he did. So the question becomes, what are Matthew and Luke quoting that isn't Mark? And nobody knows for sure what it is. Um, They just call it Q, the Q document. Um, And they call it that because uh, the German, it comes from the German word quill, which just means source. Very clever Germans. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just called the source document, right? The Q document. Nobody knows what it is, but 235 verses in Matthew and in Luke are quoting the Q document. Um, So now think about how many sources do we have in the gospel? Well, we have Mark. Mark, that's quoted in Matthew and Luke, so that's one source, Mark. Uh-huh. But then we have Matthew's independent stuff and Luke's independent stuff and the Q document stuff. So that's four sources in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we have the Gospel of John, which is just so different from the first three synoptic yeah. Gospels. So within the four Gospels, there are five independent sources. Wow. Yeah. Do you see how superior that is to... Al-Bukhari and Al-Muslim that are 250 years later, and they're just basically one source. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's night and day difference. It's, a, it's an no, entirely you're, you're right. different that's, ball game. It's drastically different. It's it just, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, just because what we have in the New Testament with those four Gospels, mm-hmm. and we have like like them each their own independent sources plus one we don't even have, and then you have uh, the Hadith that only has one one yeah, yeah one the best and now think about it, this is yeah. the best Hadith yeah this is, they say Bukhari and Al Muslim they're the best okay but it's basically just one source yeah which, that's not very good two hundred years later this stuff is thirty to forty to fifty years later. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's, well, and not it's, only that, the sources that we have when they were created, they were they were done within the lifetime of when people could have yeah. witnessed these events taking place. <clears throat> mm-hmm. There were people still alive who experienced what happened. Yes. You didn't have to do what Bukhari did because there weren't a whole bunch of generations who had come and died. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, they were written by eyewitnesses, right? Matthew yeah. was there. He's, he knew yeah. Jesus. He was a disciple. And that's the thing. That's what Luke did. He went around to eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. Yeah, that yeah, was... So we're talking right. one chain of transmission, one link in the chain, yeah. where Bukhari has to go get a whole bunch. It's just, it's not as good of a method. So we would say, man, the Gospels seem to be on way better footing in how far in time they were, in how many independent sources, that they were written by people who experienced these things, not through a chain of transmission. Yeah, but it's just crazy, too. I mean, if you think about it, in in somewhat of his defense, uh, Bakari did a, I mean... He did a great job He did the best he could do. He did. I mean, like, there's... If you look at what what we have, like, what we're talking about here, that's that's a lot... To, to work through for him to just get that little source. Little return, of, yeah. yeah. He, didn't, he didn't get very much bang for his buck. Yeah. 
and, and then they say the Gospels are corrupted, you can't trust them. Well, if that's true with what we just presented, then how can you trust Bukhari? Yeah. Which, which they do. Does that make sense? It's, it does. It's, it's, it's it a does. very yeah. tough, it's a, it's a slippery argument that they make when they say the Gospels are corrupt. And, and there's more problems with it that we're not going to get into today, but we will on future right. prod, podcasts. But so that is the Hadith and the Sirah. Important for us to understand that these are held in high regard and a lot of Muslim living comes from the Hadith, especially al-Bukhari. Um, so that, for our listeners, you've got to know that when you're talking with a Muslim. If you bring up stuff that's in Bukhari, they believe it's true. They believe it's legitimate. And so this helps us in our apologetic. We don't only have to use the Quran. We can use the Hadith. Hmm. All right, but let's move on to the Quran, okay? <clears throat> right. So the Quran is said to be Allah's perfect eternal word that has been perfectly transmitted from the time of Muhammad until our own day. This is what Muslim imams will say. This is what Muslim parents teach their kids, that it's the perfectly preserved eternal word of Allah. And that in Arabic, it's exactly as it was in heaven prior to being given to <laughs> Muhammad. All right? Now, there's problems with this, Tyler. Um, we're going to use Muslim sources, Hadith and, and Sirah, okay. to see what they say happened to the Quran. Okay? So these aren't Christian sources. Right, yeah. This is Muslims speaking Inside for themselves. Stuff here, yeah. Yeah. All right, so in 610 AD, Muhammad received his first revelation of the Quran. We talked about that all last week, and that came from Sirah and from Hadith. Okay. In 632, Muhammad dies, um, and that's when the revelation of the Quran stopped happening. Now, what happened after this was um, we, we, last week— uh, oh, no, we didn't talk about this. There was a split in Islam. There were people who wanted to follow kind of Muhammad's right-hand guy, Abu Bakr, and then there were other people who said, no, <clears throat> it should be a, a descendant of his family, he, but he didn't have any sons that made mm. it to adulthood. And so they started following uh, his, his, um, his son-in-law, Ali. Okay. Okay? So that's where the Sunni and Shiite split started. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. So <clears throat> that's where today we still have Sunni Muslims, which are the majority, and Shiite Muslims, which are the minority. Um, so... That, that split happened, but Abu Bakr, who's, who the Sunni Muslims are following, he had to suppress this rebellion that was going on. So he sent a whole bunch of Muslims to fight in this battle, and I'm not making this up, <clears throat> and I might be saying this wrong, but the battle was called Yamama. Yeah. <laughs> Y-A-M-A-M-A. Yamama. Yamama. But it, it just sounds funny in English, right? It's probably not funny, but it's a funny word. Yamama jokes, all that kind of thing. So he sends people to fight, to fight at this battle, and a lot of Muslims died during this battle. Now, the problem was at this time, the Quran wasn't like written down in its entirety. It was a memorized thing, right? That's how it was supposed to be. You're supposed to recite it to memorize it. Well, to memorize the whole Quran, uh, even Muhammad in certain passages says that he'd forgotten some verses and other people had to remind him of them. Mm. So it's a lot for one person to memorize, and no one did. So when these, when these Muslims were sent into battle and they died, they had parts of the Quran memorized, right? <clears throat> so this is what we find in Muslim sources about this battle. Uh, this comes from uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Abi Dawood, uh, in the Kitab al-Masahif. 
This is what it says. Many of the passages of the Quran that were sent down were known by those who died on the day of Yamama, but they were not known by those who survived them, nor were they written down, nor had Abu Bakr, Umar, or Uthman by that time collected the Quran, nor were they found with even hmm. one person after them. Ah. <laughs> so, so the Muslim sources say some of the Quran got lost because guys who had it memorized got killed and nobody else knew it and nobody else had written it down. And, it, and that day wow. at the Battle of Yamama, a lot of Quran got lost in the memories of dead Muslims. So, so next time someone asks and they say, where did the, source, like the original sources of the Quran come? Where did they get lost from? You could just say, Yamama. Yeah, Yamama. <laughs> that's where. I mean, that's where they, yeah. that's the first place that verses of the Quran that were handed down got lost and they were yeah. forgotten wow. forever. Wow. So, how can this be the perfectly preserved eternal word of God that's been completely no, transmitted kidding. and yeah. handed down to us? It's not. Right <laughs> from the beginning, they were losing verses. Yeah. So, <clears throat> after this happened, Abu Bakr decided that he really needed to shore up this problem. So, he, he asked uh, uh, this guy named Zaid ibn Thabit to go around and to collect the Quran and to ask people to write it down and whatever they had and to compile it into a codex, into a book, all right? Mm, mm. So Zaid completed this around 634 AD, okay? So okay. two years after Muhammad died. This codex was kept by Abu Bakr until he died. After he died, it was ne left to the next caliph, the next spiritual leader, who was Umar. When Umar died, the, the book was given to one of Muhammad's widows, Hafsa. Hmm. All right? So there's, this is the, kind of the first time it was compiled. <laughs> Around 651 AD, so this is 19 years after Muhammad died. Uh, after Umar died, who was the successor to Abu Bakr, uh, Caliph Uthman became in charge of, of the Sunni Muslims. <clears throat> and he uh, uh, was trying to fix disputes that were breaking out over how you correctly recited versions or portions of the Quran. So he took Hafsa's copy, Muhammad's widow, who had that copy that Abu Bakr had made. He took that. And he went around and he took all other texts of Quran and, and all other scraps people had written down and he put them together into an authorized version of the Quran. Now he got the same guy Abu Bakr did. He got Zaid ibn Thabit to go and do this. Okay? Hmm. <clears throat> so this takes a while. And after this was done, we read in Sahih al-Bukhari, which is the greatest of hadith, which is true. Yeah. We read something very interesting. Do you want to go ahead and read that, Tyler? It's from uh, Sahih al-Bukhari 4,987. Uh, 4, yeah, of course. Uh, it says, Uthman sent to every Muslim province one copy of what they had copied and ordered that all the Quranic materials, whether written in fragmentary manuscripts or whole copies, be burnt. Okay, so you see what happens. He says, we're going to mm -hmm. go, we're going to make the authorized version. We're going to take all the sources we can and put them together. And then after it was done, he made copies, sent them out to all the regions, and then said, if you have any scraps, uh -huh. you have any other versions, we're burning them all right now. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> now, this wouldn't be a problem if they had gotten all of the Quran from all over you know, the Muslim world and put it into the authorized version. <laughs> but we have Muslim sources that tell us they didn't. 
and that they were missing things. Yeah. And again, this doesn't come from Christian sources. This is in the Hadith. This is yeah, in the Sirah. Yeah. This is Muslim source. This is just crazy how big of a mess this is already made. Yeah. Just, just of looking at just the origin of the text where it – like yeah. the source origin of it. They're missing stuff that yeah. died in the memories of Muslims in the Battle of Yamama. Then Uthman comes along and has his codex made, sends it out, but then he has other fragments and stuff burnt. Mm. But it gets worse, Tyler. There are missing verses from the Quran according to Islamic sources. Hmm. <clears throat> this comes from Sahih al-Bukhari 3808. If you just Google search that, this will come up. Mm. And this is what it says. <clears throat> Narrated by Mazruk. Abdullah bin Masood was mentioned before. Abdullah bin Amar, who said, That is a man I still love, as I heard the Prophet saying, so this is Muhammad saying, mm. quote, Learn the recitation of Quran from four. From Abdullah bin Masood, he started with him, Salim, the freed slave of Abu Hudafa, Mu'adha bin Jabal, and Ubay kin Ka'ab. Okay, that's the end of the quote. So what, what happened here? Muhammad says, learn to recite the Quran from four guys. Masood, Salim, um, Jabal, and Ka'ab. <laughs> There's these, these are the guys you're supposed to learn how to recite Quran from. All right? Yeah. What did these guys say about Uthman's book that he compiled and then had everything else burnt? They had something to say about it. And this is where it gets interesting. <clears throat> so Masood is the first on the list that Muhammad said they're supposed to learn Quran from, right? Well, from Muslim sources we learned that Masood was really upset with Uthman's book because he said that there um, should only be 111 chapters of the Quran, but the official version that Uthman put together had 114 chapters. <laughs> so Masood is wow, calling him out saying, yeah. you added to Allah's word. This wow, is a big yeah. problem. This is a mess, right? So Masood says this. Um, this comes from uh, Ibn Said uh, in volume 2, page 444. Musad says, The people have been guilty of deceit in the reading of the Quran. Hmm. I like it better to read according to the recitation of him, Muhammad, whom I love more than that of Zaid ibn Thabit. Hmm. You see what he's saying there? He's yeah. saying, this dude who compiled this stuff, I'm not going with his version. I'd rather go with what I heard from Muhammad's mouth. Yeah, so, so then there's <laughs> what he came out with was not accurate. That's not what accurate. He's saying. He calls it a deceit. Did you see that? Yeah. The people have been guilty of deceit in the reading of this Quran. Wow. Yeah. That's a big deal from the guy who Muhammad names first we're supposed to learn how to recite the Quran from. <laughs> you see, you see the problem. It there? is, yeah. It's yeah. just such a mess. It is. Yeah. It's an issue. So Masood goes on uh, to say this, and this comes from Jami at uh, Tim. I'm not good with these. Uh, Tirmidhi, <laughs> which is uh, T I R M I D H I, uh, three thousand one hundred and four. Uh, Masood says this, O oh, you Muslim people, avoid copying the Mushaf and reciting of this man. By Allah, when I accepted Islam, he was but in the loins of a disbelieving man, <laughs> uh, meaning Zaid bin Thabit. And it was, regarded, uh, it was regarding this that Abdullah bin Masood said, O people of al-Iraq, keep the mushahif that, you, that are with you and conceal them. 
Okay, what, what is Masood saying here? He's saying, listen, when I was learning the Quran from Muhammad, Zaid wasn't even born. He was in the loins of a disbelieving man. Why are you going with this authorized version that Zaid put together for Uthman? Wow. Yeah. You need to listen to me, right? And yeah. then he says, yeah. he tells him explicitly, hide the Quran that you have. Don't let them burn it. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Hide yeah, it wild. from the government. Don't let them get it. That's a problem. Now, there's another guy who was listed when Muhammad said to learn how to recite the Quran, and it was uh, Ubay Ka'ab. Mm. We have him, uh, a, an account of, of what he thought of this codex that was put together under uh, Uthman's leadership. This mm. comes from Sahih al-Bukhari 5005, and it says this, Umar said, Ubay was the best of us in the recitation of the Quran. Yet, we leave some of what he recites. <laughs> Yet, we leave some of what he recites. <laughs> Ubay says, I have taken it from the mouth of Allah's messenger and will not leave it for anything whatever. So he's saying, listen, you oh, guys geez. are missing stuff. And they're saying, yeah, he has other Quran, but we just disregard it. We leave it. We don't care. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> this is all from Muslim sources, and, yeah, and that's yeah. that's explicitly from Bukhari, which is the best hadith. That's just uh, that's crazy. So they they hold this into the most high esteemed hadith, mm -hmm. and then you find stuff in there like this that's just talking about that uh, they themselves are saying that their own text is unreliable and deceitful, mm -hmm. and that's in their own words. In their own words, yeah. We're that's not, not our opinion up. here. This is just this is literally what the text is saying. That's just wild. It's Th like, these are what the best Muslim sources say yeah, about yeah. themselves. So this, this myth that, that Muslims say that the, the Quran is the eternal, perfect, perfectly transmitted mm. word of Allah. It just, it can't be. They lost some in the minds of the people who died at Yamama. They burned stuff that wasn't in there. Two of the four guys you're supposed to learn to recite from say, you're missing things. <laughs> and this and is it, all that, right at the beginning. Isn't that interesting though too? You, you contrast <clears throat> these four guys who are basically saying that the, what they're writing is unreliable with mm -hmm. each other. And then you compare like uh, the four gospel writers, and yeah. you see that they not only aff they, they affirm one another, one another, they reinforce, not, yeah. yeah, they reinforce, and they say, yeah, like this guy, yeah, he he's legit. In fact, I'm going to quote him. Like yeah. that's like that's just such a crazy contrast of seeing. It's crazy. These four individuals from each from each religion, each belief, yep. and you see just the differences, the problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, it's the the gospels that are said by Muslims to be more corrupt. Yeah. So if we apply the same rules that we scrutinize the gospels by to Islam, it doesn't even hold up. No. At all. No. Now there is a funny one I do want to read about. There, there's so much more. There's there's passages that talk about lost chapters, mm, yeah. lost verses, lost passages of Quran. We don't have time to go through it all. I mean, it's it's there's, there's tons of it. But one that I do want to point out because it's funny is this. Uh, this comes from Sunan Ibn Majah, uh, uh, 1944. If you want to look that up, it's Sunan, S-U-N-A-N, new word, Ibn, I-B-N, mm. uh, Majah, new word, M-A-J-A-H, 1944. And uh, this is something that Aisha, who was the favorite wife of Muhammad, said happened to a verse of Quran that she had. Do you want to read that, Tyler? Yeah, sure. It was narrated that Aisha had said, 
the verse of stoning and of breastfeeding an adult ten times was revealed, and the paper was with me under my pillow. When the messenger of Allah died, we were preoccupied with his death, and a tame sheep came in and ate it. <laughs> what was that, Tyler? A, a sheep, sheep came, came in, in and ate hmm, it. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> what is she saying? She says that there was a verse. This is Quran. Yeah. Uh, she talks about what it was about, stoning and of breastfeeding an mm-hmm. adult 10 times. And if you're not down with breastfeeding adults, uh, neither am I. Um, but this, <laughs> this was something Muhammad taught to cure yeah, yeah. lust in a man as you breastfeed him. We're just going to leave it at that. Uh, but this, Quran, this verse isn't found in the Quran. What she's referring to, it's not in the Quran. So she lost it. And how did she say she lost it? She said, well, I had it written on a paper under my pillow. But then when when Muhammad died, we were all preoccupied and a sheep came in and ate that verse. Oh, my gosh. Think about this. (laughs) Allah can't protect his eternal word from a sheep eating it and losing it so that Muslims don't have it since the time of Aisha. Yeah. That is laughable. And can't protect it from, from, from being lost. Yeah, not even that, too, but just even going back with, like, the, the people who died at battle mm-hmm. who had it. Like, he can't – like, if it's supposed to be this perfect word that should be protected and, like, sacred. And that's perfectly transmitted from the time of Muhammad until today. We've just pointed out how it hasn't been perfectly transmitted yeah, and that it's, it's been a, lost. To say – to make, to accurately, like, um, investigate that claim that it's, it's perfectly transmitted and then mm-hmm. to investigate – their own claims and their own texts and their own hadith, the the best hadith, mm-hmm. and you see and you compare it's it's laughable to make that it argument is. that it's because tra- they they themselves are saying in their most reliable sources that it's not reliable. Yes, well, and and that leads to the question because you you read this stuff, you see what we've pointed out today, and and you go, how do people believe this, right? Yeah. Well. There's a couple of things. Um, one thing is that in Islam, they they listen to authority more than we do in our culture. Authority mm. is a big deal to them. So if the imam says it, you believe it. If your parents say it, you believe it. We are more of an information culture than an authority culture. Right. Where I want to look into it myself. I want to investigate. I want to see. And that's what we've just done with their sources. And we've seen this doesn't really hold up. They accept it because their parents or their imam have said it. Now, another reason you'd say, man, how, why haven't we heard about this before? We really are living in an interesting time, Tyler, where um, these Muslim sources haven't been translated into other languages for very long. Mm, yeah. Right, 50 years ago, you couldn't have read this stuff because it was all in Arabic. Right, yeah. And th- that is a way, that is a method, I think, that Satan has used to keep people out of knowing what Islam's about. Yeah. If, if you can't read Arabic, you really can't know what it is. Now we live in a time with all of this translated that we can start to investigate. We can start to do apologetics. We live in like a really golden age of apologetics to, to Muslims yeah, yeah. because of the translation that's taken place. And so this is really kind of new material. Even the possibility of doing what we've done on this show today, it's a mm. new thing because these these passages and the, the hadith and the, the sirah, it hasn't been translated for that long yeah, into our that's language. Wild. It is wild. <laughs> but with that, we have a responsibility to, right, to yeah. investigate and to press yeah, hard pe- people into People couldn't do this before. No. Yeah, this is, this is new. You're right. This it's is new. new so. And we need to be prepped and ready to talk with our Muslim neighbor about their beliefs. Yeah, and I mean, that's, again, a, a goal in the podcast in itself is to uh, be able to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. And so when you're hearing this information and re- realizing that 
uh, we have new material that Christians didn't have access to uh, years ago. That like we are charged with this responsibility mm-hmm. to share this with Muslims. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we are, and we and we need to love them, and we need to be kind. And we're gonna have a whole episode on kind of like apologetic method to witness to Muslims. Yes. Uh, with a cool guest speaker, we're not gonna say who it is now, but uh, he's gonna be coming on in a few weeks, and it's gonna be great. Yeah. Right. So you want to stay tuned for that. But but we as Christians, we we do need to be intelligent and, and know our stuff when we're talking with a Muslim about mm. what their sources say, because they accept these sources as true. And we can use these sources to show them that what they believe isn't what their sources say. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what we want you guys to know. We want uh, our, our listeners to hear um, ju- just the foundation of these beliefs that we cover on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, like with um, Islam. And then you hear the so you hear the origins, the foundation, the text, beliefs and practices, and then we want you to apply it. We want you mm-hmm. to go and share this new information, uh, but do it in a loving and um, res- gentle and respectful way. Yeah, because right? the goal isn't to win an argument. That's so easy when we have yeah. the truth. We're working with a stacked deck. Yeah, right? I mean, I, you guys see how <clears throat> big of a mess all this is. It's yeah. just not, it's not, yeah, like we win the argument. It's not a because matter we of have winning. truth, yeah. Yeah. But it's not a matter of winning no. uh, an argument. It's a matter of winning a person. Yeah. And that takes love and kindness and tact, right? Yeah, and it takes time. And it does take time, and that's and that's the key. Muslims love talking about theology, though they're not like it's not a taboo for them. So if you <clears throat> if you have a Muslim friend, bring it up. They like to talk about it. Yeah, they like yeah. to dialogue and think through. So um, it's just an opportunity that we have. It's an opportunity we need to take in loving our Muslim neighbor and sharing truth with them. So mm. we hope you will do that with the information that was shared on this podcast. We're gonna give some really good um, links in the in the show notes to um, good apologetics uh, to, uh, uh, sites that do apologetics to Muslims. So you can go and you can get you know all the links to Hadith and you can look at all the, the Sirah and mm. you can get Quran and, and all of that kind of stuff and just be prepared to give a defense for your faith when you encounter a Muslim. Mm. Now, <clears throat> um, we, I think we should do this today, Tyler, because uh, sometimes on the analytics, people drop off right here when we're going to get into the coffee tea. Oh, yeah. And they don't listen, right? Because they're <laughs> sad. I'm sad to say it. There are people out there who don't enjoy coffee. So they, that's true. they skip the coffee tip. And, and that's okay. But this that's is okay. usually where they turn it off. But this is what I'm going to do. I think we need to make an announcement about some of the, the projects we've been working on here. And some of the things oh. that have been happening. So yeah. do you want to let our, our our faithful listeners to the end of the podcast in on something new that's coming with Christ Culture and Coffee? Yeah. So uh, something big that we've been working on and developing for months is we are about to launch a YouTube channel. Yes. Video, yeah. not just the audio. Yeah, it's going to be video. We're, we're not just going to – we are going to include uh, footage of us um, going over podcast material, but it's not just going to be podcast material. We're going to be covering apologetics material in short videos that we can release to you, the public, our, yep. our fan base, our listeners. Uh, you can get on there and share these videos with friends and use them as a quick, easy resource for apologetics, and that's our goal with it. But we have been developing this for a very long time. Uh, we just got a new rec- recording studio set up, and we're about to launch this next month, hopefully. And so it's super exciting just seeing um, the big things that God is doing with this ministry, and we're really looking forward to seeing um, just where He takes it and just uh, um, how we can help continuing uh, uh, to be a useful tool and a resource for 
our listeners. Uh, that's our goal. Yeah, and that's so. what we want to do. And so I know video is like a big uh, a, a big thing in our culture. Yeah. Know? People like video. <clears throat> it's the marketplace. That's where ideas are being shared. And so we want to get into that space with apologetics and share tips on how to evangelize, tips on, on um, you know, the best tip, the five things you need to know when witnessing to a, a Mormon, uh, to a Muslim, to a Jehovah's Witness, to an atheist, whatever. Yeah. So be on the lookout for those videos coming soon. Once we have everything up and running, obviously we will share it on here so you can get links to that. And um, you can watch Tyler's pretty face once a week, twice a week, three times a week <laughs> in your home, on your smart TV, on the YouTube channel. It's going to be amazing. Yes, so Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We both are. We both are. There we but go. it's going to be cool. So we're really excited. And again, we, we, we couldn't do this without our listeners without people caring enough to listen to this right there would be no need to do this if there weren't people out there who are engaging with these topics and using them to witness to a world that desperately needs jesus yeah we are so thankful for you faithful listeners and um yeah we're looking forward to launching this whole new phase of the ministry so exciting and uh, hopefully too like the the goal with this again like we said it just to be a quick easy resource uh, for you to access and to reach a wider audience of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just so excited for this to launch and for you guys to be introduced to our material through Facebook. At, I mean, sorry, through YouTube as yes. a different venue. Yeah, it's going to be great. All right. Well, we're going to move into the coffee tip. So if you're Here a non-coffee go. drinker, this is where you turn it off. So right, thanks for ya. being with us. Bye. We love you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> For all you diehard coffee drinkers out there, we are going to share an interesting coffee tip here. And this has to do with caffeine, that Mm. beautiful chemical compound. Yeah. It's become a close, (laughs) dear friend of mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's here's the tip for today. How how in the world does caffeine work, right? We know that it makes us feel a certain way, that it helps keep us awake. But what goes on with caffeine? Well, a couple of things, Tyler. Caffeine is only naturally found in a few substances on Earth. Okay. Coffee. Right, the coffee bean. Yeah. Right. The, the cacao bean. Right. The cocoa bean kind of right, thing. Right. Right. Um, certain nuts have it, um, but not very many. And then it's found in tea. Right. Right. That's where ca- caffeine naturally occurs. Now they're they're pumping it into Monster Energy drinks and rock stars and rebels and all this stuff. <laughs> but that's not natural. Okay. So we're talking natural. Sometimes it's good though. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go there with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm a purist, okay? <laughs> so how does caffeine and coffee work? This is what happens to us and our brain when we consume caffeine, all right? So caffeine is a chemical compound, and it stimulates the central nervous system. So the caffeine chemical compound attaches itself to the adenosine receptors that are in our brain. Okay. And you say, what are adenosine receptors, right? Yeah. What are they for? Well, they are receive adenosine chemical compounds. <laughs> so it's kind okay. of a self-explanatory, right? <laughs> but what's an adenosine molecule? What what is yeah. that? What's the what so this is what it is. Aden the adenosine molecule is responsible for slowing down our central nervous system before we sleep. Okay. We experience yeah. this is what you call I'm feeling groggy. Oh, uh, yeah. The adenosine is attaching to the adenosine receptors and it's telling you it's time to slow down and get some rest. Okay? So what <laughs> happens when adenosine connects to the adenosine receptors is uh, it slows down the nervous system and it causes blood vessels to dilate. 
Mm. So it, it causes them to open up because you're about to sleep and it wants more blood flow to the brain to bring more oxygen. It's kind of like yawning, right? There's yeah, an aspect yeah. of that that helps you get more oxygen to the brain, okay? So when we drink caffeine, it looks like the adenosine chemical compound to the adenosine receptors. Oh. So it, it clogs <laughs> the receptor. So wow. adenosine that's going to slow us down can't get there. So it doesn't give us the groggy, wow. drowsiness feeling that adenosine causes the caffeine blocks it and what happens is that your brain doesn't slow down it actually speeds up the neurons firing (laughs) and it constricts blood vessels instead of opening them up wow it constricts them to 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 cause more brain that makes so much sense now yeah thinking that wow so the caffeine causing the increased neuro firing this is what happens it alerts your pituitary gland, and your pituitary gland thinks that there's some type of an emergency happening because you have constricted blood vessels and your neurons are firing like crazy, so it thinks you're experiencing something chaotic. <laughs> and so what happens with the adrenal gland is that it turns on and it starts producing more adrenaline. The pituitary gland tells the adrenal gland to turn on, which produces adrenaline, which is why your heart beats faster when you drink caffeine. Mm, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're more alert and you're more awake and you think you have, you feel like you have better cognitive performance. Wow. It's all because. That sounds like a drug. It is a drug. Yeah, yeah it is. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's a substance <laughs> it yeah. that, that the chemical, that the chemical compound blocks the adrenal compound. Yeah. Or, sorry, not the, not the adrenal compound, the adenosine compound. Yeah. From wow. getting to the receptors, which causes this chain reaction. Wow. wow. That's how caffeine works. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, then it sounds to me like the best time to drink it would probably be bef- right before you get that tired feeling, groggy feeling. Because yeah, well, a- I mean, you don't want to be up all night though, and that, that's and that's true. the problem. Yeah. People say, "Well, I can't drink caffeine after six p.m." Why? Because it sets off my body, and and my adrenaline that's starts pumping, then, yeah. and I can't get to, I can't get sleepy. Yeah. Because I'm blocking the sleepy compound, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what's yeah. happening. So it is fascinating. I heard that if you do want to drink coffee later in the day, put milk in it because that uh, takes away, it kind of dilutes the, the caffeine a little bit. Oh, okay. So that's something you could do. Yeah. But also I, I saw that it, it's perfectly healthy for an adult to have four cups of coffee with caffeine in it every day. Yeah. There's, there's no yeah. harm in that. Now, again, if you're drinking yeah, we've 10 talked or about 15, health benefits. Yeah, there's antioxidants, there's other stuff in coffee, but that's how the caffeine uh, chemical compound works. So that's your coffee tip for today. You will know what's happening in your brain now when you're drinking that sweet black liquid, right? It's amazing. (laughs) So anyway, that's that's, a coffee tip for today. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, Robbie, because that's, yeah, now I'm thinking. I'm going to think of that every time I'm drinking it. As soon as it, like, goes down my throat, I'm just going to think, okay, this is a part where all the, yeah, everything's going to (laughs) come. Come together. Adenosine, not today. Yeah, not today. Get behind me, adenosine. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, Yeah, the science behind it is pretty fascinating, so... Wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Robbie. No problem. Um, again, uh, this was just a super um, cool podcast uh, series so far. We're um, getting more in-depth into Islam, so we're super excited for you guys to come back and join us next week as we um, keep breaking it down, and then hopefully this will keep continuing to equip you and encourage you into um, understanding Islam and Muslim apologetics and being able to defend your faith and to know how to relate to the origin of Islam to a Muslim. So uh, thank you for listening and we will see you guys next week.
Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.